If I had gone to a store and something was $10 and I had $3 in my pocket, you know what I did? And there's this like pregnant pause, you know, and I'm like, I went home because I couldn't text my mother. She couldn't Venmo me. I didn't have Apple Pay on my smartphone. Like if you didn't actually have the money, you just went home. Like it or not, you, me, and everyone else, we all have a relationship with money. And for the most part, it's a complicated one. My name's Sean Maslick. Welcome to the Most Hated F-Word Podcast. As a certified financial planner, I want to take you on a journey as we throw out the technical finance books and shift our focus towards our minds, our money, and what matters most. If you're looking to improve your relationship with money and build true wealth, you're in the right spot. Finances does not need to be the most hated F-Word. Welcome back to the Most Hated F-Word Podcast. Today, my guest is Karen Holland. Before we get into this episode, I'm going to ask you a favor. If you can head over to Apple Podcast and leave a review, or if you can send your favorite episode or any episode, maybe this episode with Karen Holland, to a friend, colleague, or whomever you think might enjoy this, it would be helpful. So who is Karen? Karen is the founder of Gifting Sense. But beyond that, she's a mom, she's an economist, and so much more. Karen credits her own mother with teaching her how to spend wisely from an early age. She worked with parents, teachers, and digital development professionals to climb her second mountain and create the site you see today at Gifting Sense, which has been specifically designed to deliver fundamental, that's fundamental financial literacy in the most engaging way possible. And you'll hear through this conversation, Karen really has a knack for creating relevant and engaging content. And I really appreciate that about Karen is that she has this desire not to just create information. We have so much information. Rather, she wants relevant and engaging information for our children. Her dream is one day, very soon, kids won't even think about asking for or buying something unless they know their DIM score. And we'll definitely get into what a DIM score is. During this conversation, I felt Karen's passion for the work she's doing, the work of trying to help kids think before they buy. Karen's organization, Gifting Sense, provides hands-on interactive in-class and web-based workshops, how to teach them to think before they buy. You'll hear how Karen explains how her program is enjoyable and relevant to the children's lives in order to engage them. And I think that's critical that Karen focuses on this idea of relevant and engaging content so that we can teach children how to put a pause when they're about to buy something so that they can think, as Karen says, about what they're going to buy. And I know I've been repeating myself on that think before you buy, but I think it's so important. And I appreciate how Karen is attempting to prime the pump to help children make financial decisions while they are still developing as children. And doing so really helps normalize this idea of making financial decisions so that when they grow up, they can see money as it is, as simply a tool. I hope you enjoy this fascinating conversation with Karen Holland. Please check out her website, Gifting Sense. Karen, welcome to the show. 
Thank you so much, Sean. I'm I'm so happy to be here. Our work is really complimentary, so I'm I'm very happy to be here. We talk a lot about on the show as money stories and the stories we tell ourselves about money. When you look back at your childhood or any point of your your life story, what, if anything at all, did you tell yourself about money? We hear this from a lot of people after they sort of reach the back nine, if you will. I mean, I'm middle-aged if you know 110-year-olds, which I know no 110-year-olds. <laughs> so I've just sort of said to some of my girlfriends in the past year as we've, as we've become, you know, sort of 55, 56, I'm like, I don't know if middle-aged applies anymore, but let, you know, let's roll with it. We won't be scientific. I feel like I grew up in a very simple time. And honestly, there was not a lot of thought about money until it came to paying for university. You know, we hear a lot about the student debt issue, but in Canada, we have public universities. We don't have the same, you know, big student debt problem. I mean, it's an issue, but I don't think it reaches the extent that it does in the United States. You know, I was fortunate. I had good summer jobs and I could make almost what I needed to pay for the upcoming year. And my parents were just really good to us and they would make up the, the shortfall. So I don't know if I told myself anything about money. I mean, my very first job was a paper route around the lake at the cottage. And it was like a real cottage. Like we had an outhouse. It was not, you know, it was not a (laughs) super fancy vacation home. And I had this paper route with this boy, Stephen Small, who's now a physician. I went to his wedding and uh, we delivered the Toronto Star around the lake. And I think I made $15 for the whole summer And before I went back to school, I went to Consumers Distributors. Do you remember Consumers Distributors? No. I'm a lot older than you. (laughs) So you would fill out a little order form from a catalog. And then it, it almost looks like the modern day beer store where the thing would come rolling out in a box. Anyways, I bought myself a Burgundy Timex watch. I super thought I was styling. And for sure, the first month of school, I was like, oh, anybody need to know the time? Let me tell you on my Burgundy Timex watch, it reveals it's 1211. <laughs> was it analog? Yes, of course. Yes, yeah. Timex, those ones were great. Yeah. So I think that was it. And I look back now, it is that I'm doing this work is dripping with irony because my mother, God rest her soul, taught us to stretch a dollar like nobody's business. And I'm going to be kind to myself and say, like so many other people, I was perhaps not always as gracious as Mm -hmm. I should have been when those lessons were being delivered. But now, I mean, everybody, you know, everybody's like, how did you get started in this? And I'm like, okay, well, first of all, you know, my mother provided the example gave us her version of tools and just insisted upon it. And then it's served us so well. And my, my dad has this fantastic career as a, as a professional volunteer since he's retired. So I've seen what he's been able to do in communities. And I'm just, I'm so grateful to both of them. But I was not always, I was not always kind to my mother when she was encouraging us to, you know, sharpen our pencils and spend wisely. Sorry, mom. Well, thanks for the background there. And I always find it interesting to to hear a little bit about our stories because, you know, you, you made a comment. People ask you, oh, why did you start whatever, in this case, Gifting Sense? 
I feel like it's just such an accumulation of our entire story. But you said a couple things that made me think of what you're doing now. One was you never had a thought about uh, money until you paid for university. And now uh, we'll get into dollars and cents, but so much of what you do is around thinking about money, being more mindful around money for children. You said your mother was good at teaching you stretch a dollar. And it's so interesting with all the people that I talk to, we can see so many influences from the parental figures. And again, we're going to be talking about parents and children and teaching them about money. But I can hear your mom taught you this lesson to stretch in a dollar. And I want to bring this into your career now. So you went into the traditional financial services system, if if the internet is correct, where much of that system, so to speak, is focused on processes, services, systems that are designed around acquiring more clients and making a really good profit. Unfortunately, at times, it does not seem like there's unbiased information education. So here you are progressing through a career. I don't know the position you had exactly, but I'm assuming with your demeanor, you're very, you seem very charismatic and passionate. So you're probably doing really well. And then maybe you started to have more thoughts like you had about the first time you talked about thinking about money around university. You had this thought perhaps that, are you helping people to stretch a dollar like your mother would do? And then you just did a, what I would see a big pivot towards the nonprofit sector to what you're doing now. So looking back at the, I think it's seven years with Gifting Sense, looking back at the seven years, what has been the most surprising or insightful lesson you've learned about actually doing the work of implementing financial literacy for the youth? Financial information has to be relevant to your life right now to be helpful. So to use your, some of the language that you use, because I I really like it, as I said earlier, if we develop these money scripts, these unconscious beliefs and attitudes about money that inform how we think and use money as adults when we're children. And then you've talked about in, in your own podcast, or I've heard you interviewed on other podcasts, oftentimes as adults, there's some precipitous event, usually not entirely positive, maybe some sort of financial pitfall or a life change. And then you help your clients do this very important work of uncovering their money script because they're unconscious beliefs and habits, and then maybe re-engineering them so that they're more productive. There's so much fantastic financial knowledge these days. There's books, there's podcasts, television programs. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost unlimited and it's really, it's great stuff. I mean, I'm a huge fan of a lot of it. The question we have to ask ourselves is why isn't it being embraced? What I'm trying to do is prime the pump, put as many positive experiences with regards to being thoughtful about how you spend money as possible in front of children during the time in their life when they're developing their money script so that maybe by the time they get to be adults, they'll already see money for exactly what it is, which is nothing more than a tool to create the life that we want, right? The only way that those positive experiences are going to do that job is if they're relevant. And unfortunately, asset depreciation or mortgages or lessons on why some credit cards are overly punitive, like it just, it doesn't matter to a five-year-old or a nine-year-old or a 12-year-old and and, nor should it, right? However, We're very fortunate because 
chronologically, our lives are structured so that there are already many natural opportunities to learn how to spend wisely before we ever earn money, before we fill out our first job application. Our parents, our grandparents, our aunts and uncles, they ask us what we might like to receive for a holiday or a birthday gift. When we're going to kindergarten, usually our input's solicited on, you know, the running shoes we're wearing or the lunchbox we're carrying. Sometimes parents might even openly muse out loud in a, in a car on the way home. Oh, what should we have for dinner? Or they're in the grocery store. You know, should we get pizza or spaghetti? So there are these very natural opportunities to let children see how powerful and rewarding thinking before buying is. And that's fantastic because if you know how not to waste money, if you know how to spend money wisely, there's a lot less pressure on making money, on making more money. Thank you for that. I have never heard someone say, learn how not to waste money. Like in different contexts, but we're always around how to make more money, how to spend less, how to save more. I want to get to this idea of how not to waste money. But before that, so for everyone listening, Gifting Sense, I, I really like your mission statement, which I believe it's your mission statement, which let's teach kids to think before they buy. And as I was reading about you, and and again, you just seem so passionate about what you're doing, which I appreciate, but the work you've been doing, it reminded me of that classic psychology example of the marshmallow experience or experiment where they... They give a ch child a marshmallow right in front of him, but if he waits, he or she waits for 15 minutes, they get two marshmallows. So can you explain how Gifting Sense is trying to help children get that second marshmallow using what you call or what you use as head fakes? How does this help facilitate a better, not a better, but more engaging learning experience versus, hey, kids, it's time to learn about money, or the normal reaction might be like, ugh. Okay, so when you say the term head fake, I, I have to pay homage to Dr. Randy Pausch, who is that computer science professor at Carnegie Mellon, whose last lecture went viral in 2007. You know, a lot of very prominent U.S. schools have this tradition of saying to a prolific professor, it's, it's expository. Okay, it's the last lecture you ever get to give. <laughs> what is it that you want to say to people? Except for Dr. Pausch, it was not expository because he was dying from pancreatic cancer and he knew it. One of the things that he talked about was the Alice Project. So in computer science, when he was teaching, there were just not enough women. And he knew this was not sustainable. And he's like, okay, how are we going to fix this? So they went into middle schools in Pittsburgh and asked the kids who would like to learn how to animate videos. So boom, all these arms go up. Now, you know how you do that? You learn the precursor to JavaScript. But if they'd gone into those same classrooms and said, who wants to learn JavaScript? The girls in particular at that point in time would have stapled their arms to their sides, right? So it was Dr. Pausch who coined the term head fake to describe the indirect learning that takes place when children think they're doing one thing, but they're really learning about another. So at Gifting Sense, it's a wordplay because it's brain sense, not money sense. What we do is similar in the way that he used coding or animation to teach coding. We use shopping to gift children wise spending habits. And here's how we do it. It's very straightforward. You just visit the site. 
you click on the get started button and you start answering some very straightforward questions about any possible purchase. Knapsack, Air Jordans, BMX bike, smartphone, tickets to the state fair, concert tickets, professional sporting tickets, events tickets, whatever it is you're after. I can't tell you how many children ask for things and they literally have no idea what level of money they're even considering spending. Um, A long time ago, Global News took us on the street and they were asking kids, do you ever think about the price of something when you ask your parents for it? And you would be shocked to see how many kids were like, oh, well, you know, it's Christmas or it's my birthday or it's whatever. You know, I know my parents want me to be happy, but they have like no idea. So one of the things that's so fantastic in, in classroom workshops is we normalize how shocking it is to ask for, you know, the iPhone 13 is $1,200 and you really have to buy Apple care and you really need a case. Like it's a huge, I mean, we didn't even get wedding gifts that approach that, right? (laughs) Like think about it. It's insane. And you've got middle schoolers, but once they find out how much these things are, how expensive it is to get it delivered on time, they're fully capable of making well thought out consumer decisions. We're just giving them a tool that lets them do so in a quick but not arbitrary fashion. That was a long-winded answer. I mean, basically, it's a digital worksheet. They go online, depending on which silo they're in. They answer 10 to 15 questions. We distill those answers into a number between 1 and 10, and it lets them assess, compare, and categorize purchases. The exciting thing is that they decide all on their own, actually, wait a minute, I don't know if I can wear orange pants that often. Maybe I should Maybe I should hold off. So if you think that buyer's remorse is typically a function of speed, right? We, we buy something, we get it home, we're like, oh. It's usually because we bought it without, without taking the time to really consider the purchase. We're a speed bump. Calculating the does it make sense score takes three minutes. It's just a little speed bump and it slows things down just enough so that they're able to avoid a purchase that in all likelihood they're going to regret. And then it's really powerful because money you don't spend today or an ask you don't make today is money or, you know, a chit for an ask that you have for tomorrow. So when we can turn being financially responsible around and it's not boring, but it's rewarding, it allows you to avoid disappointment like all of a sudden, very quickly, they're kind of they're kind of all ears. I mean, almost without exception, the first time they do it, they ask, can we do it again? And I'm like, you can do it infinite number of times. What I found so interesting about the does it make sense calculator is it's not like you're you're really giving them a budget that they have to follow in grade eight and seven, which you know, we could make it applicable, but really it doesn't really stick. It's, I, I can't remember the word you said, but it made me think of just-in-time finances so, or just-in-time financial literacy. So just-in-time is like I was sharing with you, my son wants his Pokemon toy. Just-in-time financial literacy to him would be just going through this thing, how often to use a Pokemon and so forth. I feel like what it's doing a good job is it's creating these like this psychological strength, so to so to speak, of adding a little bit more pain of pain in a world that's totally removing that pain of pain by helping us just think. And thinking is building capacity or it's building capacity and not just giving us something. So it made me think of that, teach someone how to fish and not give them a fish. You're teaching people how to think before they buy. 
Why don't you give an example of the, the grade eight student who uh, maybe brought the most complex, <laughs> oh, this was the most fantastic. complex thing to buy. I've never, I've never forgotten this. And, and it came back to mind because my guilty binge watch pleasure during the pandemic was Borgen about the Danish prime minister, Birgitta Nyborg. Have you seen that? I have not. Ugh, I loved it. Oh. Anyways, this was before the pandemic. It was an eighth grade class and the, the teacher got a little miffed at this boy because he calculated the doesn't make sense for for purchasing Greenland when President Trump was musing about possibly buying it from from Denmark. And actually, Denmark doesn't actually own Greenland. It's It's part of the Danish territory or whatever. But the U.S. has a large military presence there. Anyways, the teacher was sort of like, oh, you know, come on, you're not you're not taking it seriously. It's supposed to be for a personal purchase. But actually, I thought it was kind of fantastic. I mean, first of all, here's an eighth grader who is, wow, geopolitically aware, right? And it really is. I mean, it doesn't matter to me what you use the DIM score calculator for. If you're trying to muscle through whether or not a decision makes sense, those questions, as you yourself experienced, are are really broadly applicable. And it's not about an amount. It's really about, do you understand how much money you're spending? And do you understand how much you'll really use and appreciate it? Is it worth the trade-off for you and your family at this moment in time? Just because it doesn't make sense now doesn't mean it won't make sense in the future. I mean, lots of times, for example, with experiences, kids are disappointed if they ask to go to a you know professional sporting event or a concert on their own without their parents, you know, taking public transportation or whatnot. And, and the parents say, well, maybe not this year, but I say to the kids, like, you know, it's okay. You don't see kindergartners walking to school by themselves and you don't see high school seniors walking to school holding their parents' hands. And that's because what makes sense in kindergarten no longer makes sense in, in your last year of high school and vice versa. So you just have to have a little, just have to have a little bit of patience. But that's a really productive conversation, right? Instead of can I and just no, or you have no idea how much it costs. I mean, when they, when they use the DIM score calculator, I mean, one, one thing that always shocks kids is how much more than the ticket price it costs to actually attend an experience, right? It's about a four to one ratios to, by the time you actually take public transportation or drive and park the family car, you know, get a bottle of water and a hot dog, a program or a t-shirt or something, it, you know, the ticket price is just the beginning. So again, kids really don't understand that depending on their age and stage. They have no idea that when they say, oh, you know, can I see Taylor Swift for my birthday or can we go to an NHL game? You know, it's only <laughs> whatever amount. They have no idea. No, actually, you're not, you're nine. So you're not going by yourself. And I've, you know, middle-aged failing vision. So I actually want to see the stage. So now we need three tickets and we can't get the nosebleeds. And then, you know, we're going to take public transportation. So let's add in, you know, three go train tickets and bottle of water's $10 and the hot dogs, who knows what. And then, you know, you want the program or whatever. I mean, it's, it doesn't take long before it's a $500 birthday gift. Now you have $500 and that will rock her world, knock yourself out. But the real gift is that she understands she just got a $500 birthday gift, not a $75 birthday gift, which is what she originally asked for. Yeah, that's the part that I find really, really valuable about your program is, to use your word, she understands. 
Because what happens, I'll tell you. So there's the two things that happen. Kids always ask if they can do it again. We're like, you can do it an unlimited number of times. And then they come back a couple of days later and they express true surprise. They're like, you know, I went through this process and I I printed off the PDF summary because they're able to generate a PDF summary of all the math and thinking they go through when they calculate the doesn't make sense score. I printed it off or I forwarded it via email. And I had this great conversation with my parents and they said, yes. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not a surprise because you've done your homework. You were organized and prepared. And newsflash, that's a great strategy for pretty much everything for the rest of your life. You prove to them that you understood how much money you're asking for. You'll really appreciate it. You understand the inherent trade-offs. One of the questions that's in every single silo, doesn't matter what you're calculating the DIM score for is, are you willing to spend some of your own money, right? Because I say to kids all the time, the easiest way to telegraph to your parents how meaningful this particular purchase is to you is to be willing to spend some of your own money. And if you're not willing to spend some of your own money, you really want to sit back and think about what that means. Another question that we always ask is, does this purchase or does attending this event tell the rest of the world what you want them to know about you? You know, we have to be so careful in this day and age with social media. So I've sort of developed this shtick about, okay, what's a vegetable that you really don't enjoy eating? And I've heard it all, asparagus to broccoli, artichokes, whatever. And I'm like, okay. So next weekend, there's going to be an artichoke festival in the school parking lot. Are you going? Because here's what happens if you go to the artichoke festival. You're friends, parents see there. And the next time you're going to your friend's house for dinner, they're trying to plan what to serve. And they're like, oh, well, let's have artichokes or squash or tomatoes or whatever it is. Because I just saw Lisa at the artichoke festival, right? That's a problem. We're really trying to drive at, you know, when you download music that you like the beat of, but you're not paying attention to the lyrics. Or you buy a t-shirt and you like the color of it, but you're not aware that there's a symbol on it that could really hurt somebody else's feelings. We're trying to make sure that kids just, again, take a step back, make sure that this purchase or this event is aligned with your values and your family's values, the things that you enjoy and care about and the things that they enjoy and care about. You know, there's that famous question, if, you, if your grandmother shouldn't see you doing it, should you be doing it, right? And there's no silver bullet. I mean, sometimes kids are still gonna ask, they're not going to make all perfect decisions, but better to buy the wrong sweater than the wrong vehicle or agree to student loans and you don't really understand the terms of them, right? Or, or a mortgage product that really, really doesn't do what you need it to do. I mean, sometimes I do workshops as schools ask me, or I do workshops at women's centers or whatever. And I try to explain that financial institutions are really no different than the gap. The gap sells jeans and financial institutions sell their products. And you would never leave the gap with a pair of jeans that were the wrong size, the wrong color, the wrong length, you know, didn't do it all what you needed them to and cost twice as much as what you went to spend. And yet sometimes we leave financial institutions with products that have hit all those marks, right? And it's because I think we're not comfortable having conversations that drive all parties towards a better solution. So... This positive experience of thinking before buying and seeing how being financially responsible at the 
consumer decision level is so powerful and rewarding. It lets kids develop vocabulary and it lets them have these positive experiences. And then they're just going to be so much more comfortable seeking out the more sophisticated knowledge when it becomes relevant in their lives. Yeah, wow. You're allowing people to observe and reflect on what's going on in here and what they want to buy. And in a world that online consumerism has made it so easy to click like Amazon Prime is you just click and you get something shows up your house 42 minutes later, it seems. All these buy now, pay later apps, which are like, oh, don't worry. There's no pain to pain right now because you don't have to pay, but we're going to give you this mini loan. Yeah, buy now, pay later for like lipstick makes me crazy. Yeah. I mean, I just, I can't, I can't even respond to that. I mean. <laughs> but it seems like this system is just really trying to get us to not think about what we're doing. And what you're doing is helping people think, reflect, observe, or more, I don't know if it's importantly or just, I feel like you're creating a bunch of conscientious consumers. Because even in your questions that you ask, it's, did you buy it from a local consumer? I believe it said something to that degree. Like you said, did you use your own money? Do you know the return policy? So where did that idea come from is to really create these, if we want to use the word conscientious consumers versus just teaching them information. I know you touched on this already, but I, I really see you're drilling into this idea of helping them think. You know, it's funny. Sometimes people will ask me, okay, so what is it that you understand about this issue that others don't? And it's, and it's not, this is not unique to me by any stretch of the imagination. And I'll give you some historical context as to why that's the case. But throughout history, the infrastructure required to support the responsible use of innovation always lags the innovation. If you think about cars when they first came into being. I mean, they didn't have windscreens. They didn't even have doors, right? So people were driving around corners and like literally falling out of the vehicle. So over time, it took time, we developed all of this infrastructure, seat belts and doors and windscreens and stoplights and everything so that everybody could use this fantastic innovation of a motorized vehicle safely. Look at what happened with derivatives when they first came into being, those financial instruments, right? We didn't have the infrastructure yet to support their responsible use, which is how things like Orange County happened, right? We had people agreeing to agreements and they didn't really understand what they entailed. So now we have ISDAs and that doesn't happen anymore. FinTech is wonderfully efficient, super helpful. It's not that FinTech in and of itself is bad. However, particularly for today's school-age children who are going to be digital payment system natives, right? They really are never going to know a world where they pay for the majority of things with, with physical dollars and cents. Initially, what fintech is doing is it's speeding up the pace at which they're able to make decisions, but they don't have enough context or infrastructure to make decisions that really support their well-being. So this is just a little bit of infrastructure. I, mean, I use a lot of humor in workshops because that resonates with kids. And I'm always talking about how, you know, a million years ago when dinosaurs roamed the planet and I was in school and there were no computers, we had to do everything on paper and pencil. Oh, can you imagine? No. Right? <laughs> if I went to a store, if I had gone to a store and something was $10, and I had $3 in my pocket. You know what I did? And there's this like 
pregnant pause, you know, and I'm like, I went home because I couldn't text my mother. She couldn't Venmo me. I didn't have Apple Pay on my smartphone. Like if you didn't actually have the money, you just went home and you lived, right? We just need to put a little bit of infrastructure in place so that this really powerful and can be helpful innovation of financial technology can be used responsibly by young people who who don't have the physical and visual cues that you and I had growing up that taught us that money was scarce and and that there were these inherent trade-offs, right? I mean, who among us hasn't received their first paycheck or birthday money or whatever, and you sort of blow it and then you step back, you know, two or three days later and you're like, wow, what did I do that for? And you're shocked at how little time it took or whatever. So, but they, you know, it's hard to have those experiences when everything is, is waving this. I mean, your kids are little. Have you ever asked them where money comes from? I've asked my son and he said from mom and dad, of course. (laughs) Mom and dad. Okay. I like that answer. I've heard some really hilarious ones. Do you want to hear them? Yes, I do. The wall. Money comes from the wall. I think that's a bank machine. Yeah. Aunt Kira's phone, right? The phone comes up all the time. Yeah. Daddy has a magic plastic card, (laughs) right? If you think about it, I mean, younger children, they're only describing the world as they experience it, right? If you're a six or a seven-year-old, it must honestly look like mom and dad have this magic plastic card and they just use it to get everything from ice cream to a, to a tank, of, tank of gas, right? So in workshops, we say for our purposes today, money comes from our parents working hard to earn it. And it's very important not to confuse payment delivery methods like Interact and credit cards and debit cards and Apple Pay and Venmo. That is not money, right? That's just, mm-hmm. a, that's just a payment method. Money is what you earn from working hard. One of the things that I find really exciting is that our workshops develop money privilege empathy. All of a sudden, like I, I say to the kids, if they're calculating that doesn't make sense for, for an experience, one of the questions, and parents love this question, is, is it your first time? you know, going to a concert or an MLB game or using public transportation, going to the mall with your friends, whatever it is. And I'm like, does anybody ever sit there and their parents are walking down memory lane talking about how, you know, when they went to school and, you know, we don't don't want it to sound like a Monty Python skit, but I'm like, let your parents walk down memory lane. Because eventually what happens is they remember the first time they had those benchmark experiences, those seminal experiences, and they reflect on how meaningful it was to them. And they'll be more amenable to work with you to create circumstances under which everybody can feel good about it happening. Maybe it's not going to happen this weekend, or maybe it's not even going to happen this school year, but all of a sudden, the seeds of a plan are there, right? My husband and I have said to our son his whole life, we love this phrase, plan beats no plan. Any sort of plan, I mean, it's not necessarily achievable. I mean, look at the last two years with the pandemic, right? All plans are written in sand. But as a general rule, plan beats no plan. And everybody can just sort of relax when all of a sudden you've got a sight line to, okay, so I can't get to Jordan's now because it's the end of the school year and it really only makes sense to spend that much money at the beginning of the school year when I can really 
max out on their use because I live in the Northeast and in the dead of winter, can I really wear those? I really need to wear boots or whatever. So if I start wearing them in August, that makes more sense than getting them in May. And then there's the real possibility that they might even be a bit tight by the time October rolls around. So all those conversations, they just generate more family harmony. Children expect that thinking before buying is going to help everybody save money. I think that's part of their like, yeah, okay, whatever. It's really a surprise to them how much time and precious mental energy it saves, how it improves conversations around the dinner table, and then and then protecting the planet, protecting the planet. Yeah. We talk about that a lot too. So many wonderful things that I want to poke at you talk about unappreciated gifts. And as a father of a three and five-year-old, I can tell you the back cupboards are full of unappreciated gifts that in the moment, the reptilian part of the brain was like, I need this now, not only for them, but for me too. <laughs> like, so my question is in and around, where did you start coming up with this idea of to help protect the planet? And have you seen mom and dad also falling into the head fake of <laughs> doing the learning through this? whether it's protecting the planet or being more conscientious with the purchasing of their own things. Okay, okay there's a lot to unpack. There's a lot. How you okay, here's what I will tell you. A lot of parents have, have said to me if they've participated in a workshop or sometimes schools record it and make the recording available. A lot of parents have said, you know, I never thought about all the components of an experience. So for example, if we want to go out to dinner, it's not just the bill at the restaurant, it's the Uber, it's the mm -hmm. babysitter. It's, you know, da-da-da-da-da. So I will say that there's there's spillover into the immediate and, ex and extended family, 100%. You talk about your back cupboards being filled with, you know, underappreciated gifts. I think that this really started, I mean, it's so, we can't, we can't see it until we sort of get to that part in our lives. I think what really happened is I read David Brooks, The Second Mountain, and and everything really started to gel for me. And I realized that my childhood, my educational background, my professional background, but also my experiences as a parent, they all came together and resulted in gifting sense. Because what happened is we were married for almost 10 years before our son was born. Then we have this little guy. And of course we adore him as people do adore their little people. We start on, I call it the birthday party arms race, right? It starts out with just family. And then you start including like neighborhood kids and classroom kids. But our son is an only child and, and we were a little older when we had him. We just wanted him to feel the love and feel celebrated. And it's, it's almost a shock the first time it happens and everybody leaves and you literally have like this mountain of plastic and cardboard behind you. And you're like, e gads, like that's, that's not what we wanted at all. So then I'm super naive. You know, the next year I'm like, I put on the invitations, your presence is your present, you know, please don't bring anything or, you know, you try, right? Gift giving is such a well-entrenched tradition in the developed world. It's almost painful for people to show up empty-handed. They just, they really have a hard time doing it. So I'm like, okay, we have to do something. And then after about age 11, what most kids really want for a birthday or a holiday gift comes with a price tag that exceeds what individual gift givers can reasonably spend in any event. 
So originally, I thought that the PDF summary of all the math and thinking that they go through to calculate the doesn't make sense score, I was encouraging kids to use that to organically crowdsource this one larger, more meaningful gift amongst all the members of their family that normally celebrate birthdays and holidays with them. Because every grandparent and aunt and uncle that we spoke to in the pilot said they would happily contribute 20, 30, 40, 50 dollars, whatever it is, towards, you know, the Air Jordans, which are 244 dollars. And I'm sorry, when you're 11, they, they're only going to fit for a year, right? Your feet are growing so fast, you just can't wear them for more than a year. And you're right, the, the questions are designed to encourage kids to use things to the natural, the end of their natural life cycle. But, you know, when you're an 11-year-old and you wear Jordans to school every day, I mean, maybe... Somebody else can wear them for a month or two, but they're kind of toast, right? So those things are expensive. So what we hope we can do for families is give them a gracious way to politely answer that question, which is posed all the time anyways, right? Your siblings and your parents, do your siblings and your parents ask you what your kids would like? Yep. So your kids are little, but wait, it's coming. It's coming. You're not really going to want to tell them that they want a $100 hockey stick, they want a baseball mitt. They want a dance costume. They want whatever it is. Be and, and a big part of the reason you don't want to give that answer is because it's $100. And it's not realistic to expect that your siblings or your parents are going to spend that kind of money at each one of these events. However, can you think of an experience that would very naturally underscore how scarce money is and the inherent trade-offs when we spend it all the people you love coming together and getting you that one thing that you really want, will use and appreciate. And then what you don't have is the mountain of plastic and cardboard behind you that, you know, families have all sorts of ways that they try to deal with it. They put it on a shelf in the garage or the laundry room. You take it to a thrift shop. You try to re-gift it. Maybe there's a garage sale. But more often than not, that stuff ends up in a landfill. You know, the planet's got enough going on. It doesn't need to process all of these gently used gifts on top of it. It's just making me think of the whole culture around gift giving and where it stems from is not just the kid wants it, but mom and dad also maybe some underlying needs that have not been met that go back to those money scripts. But I like this idea of, again, thinking, and I think that there's a lot of head fake going on, even in the process you just defined there of collectively getting together to buy a bigger experience gift or whatever it is. I think there's a lot of head fake learning for mom and dad too, that, that happened in that process. So gifting sense is, is a wonderful initiative. And before we, we kind of go to, to wrap up, some people, when we introduce new concepts to our paradigm, we might meet them with resistance because they're new and we're in the status quo status quo bias of like, I just want to continue on my way. I really like this analogy that you give with brushing your teeth and becoming more conscious over our spending. So maybe can you draw the parallel for people might be like, this is a really good aspirational idea, but how I can't see this happening on all purchases. Draw your parallel to the people who've been losing teeth. I think what happened is right when I was starting the Gifting Sense project, a really good family friend of ours said, you know, this is a great idea, but unfortunately, a lot of people think of thinking before buying. They liken it to instructions for toothpaste. It's so obvious. Of course, you have to think before you buy, right? So why do you need granular instruction on how to think before you buy? 
And then I started doing some research and I uncovered these really amazing parallels and they got me really excited. We can't believe this in this day and age because, you know, we carry toothbrushes and toothpaste in our knapsacks and our purses. We, we brush our teeth all the time. But believe it or not, Sean, regular toothbrushing was not an everyday occurrence until the end of the Second World War. And here's what happened. During the First World War, the military had so many soldiers who couldn't complete their daily duties due to, to basically poor dental health. They were having so many problems with their teeth that the military mandated regular toothbrushing as a way to mitigate that. The soldiers took those, those good oral hygiene habits home to their families. And by the end of the Second World War, everybody was brushing their teeth on a regular basis. Now, here's where that gets really exciting. In 40 years, thanks to this very simple habit, regular toothbrushing, oral cavities moved from an early onset childhood condition to a late onset adult condition. Think about all the famous people we know who didn't have any of their own teeth. George Washington, Winston Churchill, Clark Gable, the star of Gone with the Wind, didn't have any of his own teeth. They were all removed because he basically had gum disease, right? It was not unusual to be an adult and not have your own teeth. My husband does not have one cavity. I am convinced that thinking before buying, and not only dentists teach their kids to brush their teeth, right? Did you teach your kids to brush their teeth? I did. And are you a dentist? No. Oral hygienist? No. Oral surgeon? I am not. Right. So you felt comfortable giving your children this regular daily habit, even though you were in no way, shape, or form an expert in that field. And you did that because you understood that it was going to yield untold future positive benefit. Thinking before buying is exactly the same. You don't need to be any sort of financial expert to give your children this habit, and it can permanently positively alter their future. Oh, Karen, I love this. On Thursday, I'm releasing an episode with Dr. Todd Cashin, who just wrote a book on the art of insubordination, which is we our, our society to advance. We need people who go against the grain and come up with different concepts. And this is all I can think about with you is this idea of teaching our kids how to think is so important versus just giving them the information. And people say like, how, how am I going to, you know, how am I going to get my kids to do it? Guess what? Kids are like everybody else. They do what works. So if you say to your family in this household, we think before we buy, and that does not mean that you never get to do or buy anything fun. I'm not a Luddite. Mm -hmm. All it means is that you plan your spending to avoid disappointment. No more dinosaur pajamas when you haven't been interested in dinosaurs for five years, right? So you're avoiding disappointment. Yes, reducing waste and protecting the planet, but you know, let's, let's use the primary driver. You're avoiding personal disappointment. All it takes is three minutes to whip through these questions. And then it's that speed bump. It slows them down. So you just have to insist that this is a necessary precondition for spending money in your household. It's not arduous. It's not a big ask. It doesn't take a lot of time. I mean, you you experience that with your own son, right? It doesn't take a lot of time. Older kids are through in a no time at all. And even if you're somewhere where you don't have access to the to the internet, right? So you can't actually get on the site and answer the questions. It's just a little reminder. Just say in your mind's in your mind's eye, okay, what's the does it make sense score? It's just a little reminder to quickly say to yourself, how much money am I really spending? Am I really going to use and appreciate this? And once parents make that a policy, it's just like, think about other policies that that parents 
implement, right? You can ride your bike at desk if you have the the light on. You can watch TV on a school night if all of your homework is done. It's no different. Saying that you have to calculate the doesn't make sense score for a possible purchase before you spend money or put something on a wish list or ask me to spend money is no different than saying you can only watch television or stream now. Nobody watches television. You can only stream something if you've done your homework. It's the same thing. And maybe they'll grouse the first time, but I'm, I'm telling you, I mean, I haven't seen everything, but I've seen a lot. It doesn't take kids any time at all to figure out, wait a minute, this is a tool for me to get what I really want, will use and appreciate. And all of that ancillary benefit is the head fake. It's okay if they're only using it to get what they want, because what they're really getting is this comfort and acuity with personal finances that will allow them to seek out the more sophisticated knowledge when it's relevant to their life. Yeah, that's so, it just, it makes me think of how this whole process is helping cultivate a sense of self-agency where people can actually go in and make these decisions. And that, to your point, can transcend beyond a financial purchase. If they, like, wait, I got to pull up this tool and they go through this and show mom and dad and they successfully get to buy it. I think it's really over the years cultivating and creating that sense of agency. So, you know, I was thinking to myself, Sean, if the Gifting Sense Project succeeds, you're going to have to change the name of your podcast. I know. Because by the time today's school-age children are parents themselves, finance won't be the most hated F word. Maybe it's the fascinating word. <laughs> I don't know. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a good thing. Well, I, I see we're at our time. Thank you so much. I, I asked this question to everybody. Let's imagine you're at that whatever age it is, if it's if you're 110 or beyond your life life end and you're sitting somewhere that brings you peace on a front porch looking out at a lake, meadows, an ocean, whatever brings you peace and you decide to write your child's children, uh, so your great-grandchildren, a letter about what you learned on having a healthy relationship with money, what would be a theme to that letter? So I, I listen to your podcast a lot. So I've heard you ask this question and it's funny. I knew immediately the first time I heard it, what my answer would be. And it's what my grandmother, who lived until she was 102 and didn't have any of her own teeth when she died, <laughs> God rest her soul, said to us growing up, what you don't have to laugh over, you don't have to cry over. Oh. More is not better. Wow. Right? We think about, oh, you know, you can better house, better purse, whatever it is, right? Then all of a sudden you got to babysit the stuff. It, it's no longer a tool for you. It's no longer a knapsack that you can just throw on your back and get on your bike. And you don't care if it's raining or snowing or whatever it is. All of a sudden now you've got this fancy purse and you're like, oh, it's raining. What am I going to do now? And then you're looking for a plastic bag to put the fancy purse in so it can survive the dash to the subway because it's raining outside. My grandma always said that to us and it has taken on more and more and more meaning as I have aged. What you don't have to laugh over, you don't have to cry over. Wow. Well, I feel like she would be proud of the work you're doing because I feel like you're instilling that into the children by helping them think and be more mindful over their purchases. I hope so, Sean. I hope so. Where can people find you and maybe talk about, is it consumers that come to you or is it like families? Is it school institutions? One time somebody told me, you know, you should never say that you're a unique platform. Apparently that's the, the kiss of death. But 
we kind of are a unique platform because you can't market to children under the age of 13 by law. So even though kids are our users, educators and parents are really our customers. Although, as you know, we're a mission-driven organization. We don't have a fee structure, right? This is, this is, these workshops are totally free. And the DIM score calculator is totally accessible. We have no registration, no paywall. We don't collect any personal information. And that's because I don't want any barriers to entry. I'm a parent myself. Nobody wants to feed credit card information or birth dates or anything in, into a screen, right? So when we were building this, I'm like, it has to be as easy to use as possible. So you can, you can just type gifting sense literally into any browser on any device. And we're the first thing that pops up and workshops are sort of divided into thirds. Like we take kids through why thinking before buying is so powerful and liberating. Then they test drive the DIM score calculator for a possible purchase or a wish list item that they're interested in. And then we dismount from that experience and we're like, okay, so when you want to do this on your own in the future, what's your move? And they're like, you type giftingsense.org into any browser or any device. You see the white cloud on the blue background. You know, you're in the right place. It's a white cloud because we like to think we're making your dreams come true. And then you click on get started. And then you saw there's two primary silos is, are you doing this for an item or an experience? And then you click on those and there might be downstream silos like sports equipment, clothing, electronics, or for an experience, you just start answering the questions. So it's basically word of mouth at this point in time. Schools come to us, we schedule the workshops. I used to visit schools in person and I have been Zooming for the last 22 months. I miss being in the classroom. I miss the energy of the kids. And when you're like going up and down between the desks, you can see, you know, at, at what stage they're at of the of calculating the DIM score and who's stuck. And, you know, there's a normal distribution curve in every every classroom. However, the interesting thing about Zoom is I've had workshops where kids are from Texas, Mexico, and Toronto in the same workshop because their parents said, okay, I'd like you to do this. And this is the time slot that works for them. And I think that those lessons, that that experience of normalizing scarcity, you know, the idea that despite what you may observe on social media, nobody gets a BMX bike or a smartphone without a lot of conversation and thought. I think that it's even amped up when kids see that this isn't just, you know, kids in Ajax, Ontario. This just isn't kids in Nashville, Tennessee. This is kids everywhere. This is kids everywhere. I mean, I had kids from Sweden in workshop this past summer. It's kind of funny. They were like, where are the Swedish provinces in the rolling menu that we have for sales tax? And I'm like, well, they're not Uh, there. So uh, now uh, we have a custom sales tax uh, field so that if you're calculating the doesn't make sense score outside of Canada or the US, you you can use that custom field. So you, it's primarily through the site and we have a contact us form and just reach out to me and I'm very responsive. It's very lumpy. You know, sometimes I, I can't speak by the end of the week and then other weeks are different, but I kind of pride myself. I've only said no to one request and it was because they wanted it for, you know, 22 year olds. And I was like, I really don't think our platform lends itself to that age group, but I've done seven-year-old brownie troops. I've done a lot of classes of 
graduating high school seniors, my personal view is this sweet spot is middle school, grade five, six, seven, eight. They've started to get some some money. They're earning some money or being given some money and they're not too cool for school. They're still mm. a little differential. So yeah. they're, they're all ears. Uh, and what's the youngest grade? Seven is the youngest, but I will tell you seven, seven's is a lot of work, right? Because you literally have to explain every single term. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have no idea what sales tax is. So right. we're like, well, sales tax is collected by stores for the government. It's a percentage. Then they're like percentage. They struggle with percentage at seven, right? So the age 10 is where you don't have to, you know, be really mindful about every term that you use. And we have a glossary. Like if you visit our teacher tab, we have a glossary that teachers can download and print off and hand out to all their students. And I also tell the kids when we used to do uh, math homework and it had to do with money, I can remember the teacher saying, you know, sharpen your pencil, right? And that was a reminder to be extra careful because you were dealing with money, which we all understood was scarce. So we'll send these to teachers if they do a workshop at their school. And when I visit schools, I take the pencils with me and every child gets a gifting sense pencil and it says right on the side, what's the DIM score? And I liken um, calculating the DIM scores, you know, to the digital equivalent of sharpening your sharpening your pencil, right? So I always say, now remember, before you spend any money or put something on a wish list, sharpen your pencil and calculate the DIM score. And that's going to be good for you and your family and the planet. Karen, your work is fantastic. I'm happy you're you're doing this project. And thank you so much for taking the time to share it with our audience today. It's absolutely my pleasure. I think your work is fantastic. I think you also have a very unique spot. And this whole idea of getting people to uncover, you know, their money stories and how it's impacting the decisions they're making. I think it's, I think it's really, I think it's really important. I'm sure it'll line up. It'll take, you know, look at the dental um, example. It took 40 years. So you'll still be able to have a nice long career. But of course, ultimately my dream is to put you out of business. That, that, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is wonderful. I mean, you're, you're very upstream focused, which is good. Like when we're thinking of systems thinking so. So yes, thank you so much for joining us today. My absolute pleasure, Sean. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Most Hated F Word podcast with Karen Holland. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Karen is doing some fantastic work and I really appreciate her focus on the capacity building of helping children have an ultimate better relationship with money. If you're interested in Gifting Sense, head over to their website and see how Her organization can help out your children today. Until next time, have yourself a great week.